Amen. Romans chapter 8 verse 24 says, For we are saved by hope. That's why it's so important we don't lose hope today. So we are saved by hope. We can't lose hope. We are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. That fourth to last word is an unpleasant word. The fruit of it is sweet, but the cultivation of it is hard. Patience. If we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. We've been hearing about God's promises lately and how we need to hold fast to them. And God gave me another message for us today concerning His promises. And that is simply to patiently wait for God's promises. Patiently waiting for God's promises. Amen. The other day I was thinking, why don't they just change the name of the DMV to Large Waiting Room? DMV, you're pretty much always going to wait. But you're waiting for something necessary, so you have to wait, right? You have no choice but to wait. That's kind of how God's promises are sometimes. You've got to wait for the fulfillment. But it's necessary for our lives. It's worth waiting for. Amen. No matter how long I have to spend in the DMV every couple years, it's worth the wait because then I can drive again for a couple years without getting in trouble. It's worth the wait. Amen. And God's promises are always worth the wait. Let's just pray one more time. We're not praying for God's Word. His Word is perfect and blessed. But we're praying for us to receive it. Lord Jesus, we pray for Your Word today to get into our hearts. We pray You'll help us to receive it. To gladly receive Your Word. To not let it go past us and just fall on someone else. But let Your Word fall on our ears and get into our hearts today. Let it be on good soil that Your Word is received today. Help us receive it with faith. Help us receive it with gladness. Help us receive it with eagerness that this is your word for me. This is your promise for me. Not just for somebody else, but for me. It's your promise unto me, O God. Lord, help your word encourage everyone who's here today. I know today because of what you put in my heart concerning this service, you are here to encourage us today. You are here to lift us up today. You are here to bless us and to increase our faith today. If we will just receive it today. You're here to feed us. If we will only receive it. Amen. If we will just receive it, it will be a blessing to our lives today. We thank you for the work you've already done in this place. And we thank you in advance for the work you're going to do in the next few moments. I thank you for everyone who's here. 
every brother and sister in the Lord that's here. I thank you for them. This is a family here today. Everyone here is part of our family. And I thank you for each and every one of them today, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. The purposes of God often develop slowly because His grand designs are never hurried. For the, with the Lord, a day is a thousand years. It doesn't really matter with Him. The great New England preacher Philip Brooks was noted for his poise and quiet manner. At times, however, even he suffered moments of frustration and irritability, unlike us here, of course. One day a friend saw him feverishly pacing the floor like a caged lion, and he said, What's the trouble, Mr. Brooks? The trouble is that I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. Haven't you felt that way before? I'm in a hurry, but God doesn't seem to be. I wanted this prayer answered yesterday, and it's yet to happen. Some of the greatest missionaries of history devotedly spread the seed of God's Word and yet had to wait long periods before seeing any fruit from their efforts. William Carey, for example, labored for seven years before there was one Hindu convert in Burma. Seven years without one result. Another missionary, Judson, toiled for seven years before his faithful preaching was rewarded. In West Africa, it was 14 years before one convert was received into the Christian church. 14 years of ministry without fruit. In New Zealand, it took nine years. In Tahiti, it was 16 years before the first harvest of souls began. Thomas Kempis described that kind of patience in these words. He deserves not the name of patient who is only willing to suffer as much as he thinks proper and for whom he pleases. The truly patient man or woman asks nothing when they suffer. Whether his superior, his equal, or his inferior, but from whomever, or how much, or how often wrong is done to him, he accepts it all as from the hand of God, and counts it as gain. Chuck Swindoll said, True patience is waiting without worrying. True patience is waiting without worrying. And I don't condemn anyone today. I challenge you in love. I suffer at times from the same ailments of anxiety and stress and the pressures of life. But God wants to develop a patience in us where we can endure without it. Without suffering from anxiety and stress that is overwhelming. 
seasons of it, maybe, but not a lifelong issue of constant worry and care. An anonymous author said, Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman and never in a man. Patience. That was kind of funny if you missed it. I'll read it again. Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman and never in a man. A man, Sister Bonnie says. The Cambridge Dictionary defines patience as the ability to accept delay, suffering, or... Or becoming angry. This is food we have to chew. The ability to accept delay, suffering, or annoyance without complaining or becoming angry. I don't stand before you today as one who has attained, trust me, but as one who is pressing toward the mark. This mark. God help me develop patience. You might not repeat that, but I hope soon it'll be your prayer. God help me develop patience. Nobody has patience anymore. The only people with patience are doctors. Aha! That wasn't even in my notes. That was corn on the fly. The heart begins to race. The palms get sweaty. We start losing our minds. And we've sat there for 13 seconds. We're ready to strangle. We're ready to choke. We're ready to kill if necessary. Because we have waited in line for 42 seconds. Where is our patience? Strong's definitions defines this word patience we read about in our verse that if we have hope for what we see not, we'll with patience wait for it. It says this, patience, the Greek word is hupomene, and it means cheerful endurance. Not only is it beyond being angry or irritable or frustrated, it's cheerful. It's an even higher standard than Webster's. A cheerful endurance. There's Greek lexicon says the New Testament characteristic of a man or a woman who is unswerving from their deliberate purpose and their loyalty to faith by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Patience. Last two weeks, the Lord's been giving us 
some challenging material. <laughs> I love you. God's working me over with it too. As I study, I'm getting hit, okay? But these things are worth it. Developing patience is worth it. And it's a work of grace because the reason why we have no patience is because we're not trusting in God. We're not trusting in God and we're caught up in the rat race of our day that's just going faster and faster and faster. We're on information overload. And it makes your mind feel like it can never stop and slow down. And so because our mind never slows down and our spirit never slows down, we have no patience. No patience. Romans chapter 8 illustrates the patience to wait for God's promises. Namely, in this context, it's the promise of the resurrection unto eternal life. And in looking at this today, I pray that we'll not just be hopeful in our promise of eternal life, but we'll apply these principles to waiting for God's promises in this life. Because we have some. We're not going to go over all those promises today. I'm not going to remind you of all those promises today, but we have promises that have been given unto us in God's Word. And specifically as a church, we have heard several promises in the last few months. And we cannot turn from our faith in the midst of struggle. We need to hold fast to Him who's able and willing to do what He said He will do. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read the New King James Version. It'll be slightly different from what you see on the screen, but very close. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And that one verse right there we can meditate on all day and be full. There's enough in that verse to shout. It's saying that no matter how difficult this life is, and I do not patronize anybody's struggle, some of us have suffered astonishingly horrible things. But as bad as those things are, the greatness of what's coming is so much greater in relativity, they aren't even mentioned in the same breath. So far and high above are the greatest things that will be awaiting us in glory that the sufferings will be like nothing when we receive those things we will look back on our life and those times where we didn't know if we're going to make it those seasons where we literally lost our mind or almost lost our mind and we'll say that was not that bad to get where i'm at The training was worth it. I'm sure if you ask any Olympian standing and receiving their gold medal, was the
getting up every day and denying yourself certain foods every day and exercising and pushing your body to painful limits every single day. Was it worth it? Most of them, if not all of them, would say it was worth it. And all they're getting is a little bit of the glory of man. All they're getting is some recognition from a sport. They're not receiving an eternal reward in heaven. How much greater that reward. So today, I, again, I know you've suffered. And I don't pretend to understand how much you've suffered. But know that however much you've suffered is still not even close to being worthy to be compared to the greatness of the glory of God which will be revealed in us. For verse 19 says, the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. The whole creation groans and labors. These verses are speaking to the fact that all of creation... Not just humanity suffers from the effects of the curse of sin. It wasn't just mankind that suffered when Adam and Eve made that fateful, sinful choice. But all of creation suffers. And therefore all of creation groans for deliverance from bondage. Deliverance from the effects of sin in our day and in our world. When we understand this principle, we know why that when Jesus was crucified, that the earth literally rebelled against the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The earth was angry. The earth was upset that its Savior was crucified. The Bible says in the last days that there's going to be natural disasters more than ever before. Because the earth is literally mirroring what's going on in the Spirit. Again, I know we're out in some deep waters today. But the confusion and the chaos that's happening in people's minds is being mirrored in the climate. Climate change is not all about how much air spray we use. There are facts about climate change. There are facts about global warming. There are facts to these things. And, and because the earth is suffering from the results of sin, it will not forever last no matter what we do. We should try to be good stewards. We should do everything we can to be a good steward. I'm not saying otherwise. But we must understand that these things are happening not just because of our choice of products alone. Or how much gas the cows are emitting. Or people. 
But there's chaos and there's confusion in the environment because there's chaos and confusion in the heart of man. Because man is giving over to those spirits. Man is not asking God to intervene and help him because if he does, God will. And because there's more people not asking God's help, there's more chaos and more confusion and more strongholds. So when we look at what's happening in our world, in the natural, there's a mirror in the Spirit. All of creation is groaning for deliverance from the oppression of sin. And I don't understand all that, and we don't have time to go into all that. But the Lord made that principle clear in several cases in the Bible. If we will not praise Him, the very rocks will cry out. It's over and over in the Scripture. There's a relationship between God and His creation. And when we're out of step with God, creation itself is out of step with the order it should operate in. All of the earth is groaning to be delivered And this word groan in the Greek means literally to moan jointly. Experiencing a common calamity. So that all the earth and all creation is moaning jointly. And we wonder why we feel what we feel. Depression, anxiety, stress, oppression. We have a common calamity called sin. But today we have the answer. Jesus Christ. All of creation is waiting for redemption from sin. Verse 23 goes on to say, Not only all of creation, but specifically, we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Even us who have a relationship with Him. Even us who have been filled with His Spirit. We groan ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of of our body. When we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we receive the first fruits of the Spirit. Today is Pentecost Sunday. It's in conjunction with the Feast of First Fruits. Pentecost Sunday is 50 days after the Passover. It wasn't something instituted recently, it was something instituted all the way back. In Genesis, in Exodus, Leviticus, the early part of the Bible. Fifty days after Passover is Pentecost. And after the children of Israel settled in the land of promise, this celebration of Pentecost was translated into a time of agricultural celebration. Celebrating the provision of God for His people. They brought their first fruits of their spring harvest to God and they worshipped thank you Lord 
for providing another year of crops. Thank you, Lord, for providing everything we need once again. Pentecost was a celebration of first fruits of a harvest. And in Acts 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, 50 days after the Passover and the crucifixion of the Lamb, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the first fruits of God's harvest in the New Testament revival. The first fruits of the New Testament church for which we are a part of. This is the first fruits, and the fruit after will be like it. This was just the first fruits of the great harvest that God desires. This experience gave them a foretaste, an inheritance in heaven that they could look forward to, an earnest of that inheritance, just a little piece of heaven. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. It's the little small down payment that says God is serious about this. When you put down earnest money, you're telling the person you're buying from, I'm not going anywhere. I plan to make this purchase. And Jesus Christ, when he filled us with the Spirit, says, I'm not going anywhere. I plan to finalize my purchase of you. I purchased you somewhat. You're fully saved, but you're not all the way saved because you're still here. Anybody have any problems? I do. (laughs) Anybody ever feel sick? I do. Anybody ever get stressed? We already discussed all these things. That's because we're still here. We've had the first fruits. We've tasted the first fruits. And thank God that any time we need to feel a little heaven on earth, we can go and spend time in His presence. We can taste of that fruit any time we want to. It's always available. The vine is never empty. But we have to go to the vine and we have to pluck it ourselves and say, God, here I am. I need some heaven on earth right now really bad. I need some heaven right now. When we pray in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Jude, we are building up our most holy faith. Amen. We're going back to the vine and partaking of those first fruits again. And as great as that is, and anybody who has ever been filled with the Spirit that's here today or somewhere else, we remember how everything seemed to change. Right? Unfortunately, that didn't stay that way for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But if we remember the euphoria of that moment that we felt such peace, we felt such cleanness, we felt like we'd never felt in our life, that's just a little taste of the hope we have in eternity. We'll feel so much better than that, and it will never end. It won't stop. 
There won't be Monday morning ever again. Sometimes we leave church already dreading Monday. And that's why we linger and we should in the altar sometimes till 5.30, sometimes beyond. Because we don't want to rush out. Because in His presence is the closest place I find to heaven on earth. We groan within ourselves. It's not that we don't have struggle. It's not that we don't have trial. Please don't misunderstand me today. We're going to. We're going to groan within ourselves at times, eagerly waiting for the adoption. Again, I know we've been adopted just a few verses before in Romans 8, it says, when we receive a spirit, we can cry, Abba, Father, because we receive the spirit of adoption. We've received the spirit of adoption, but we haven't been fully adopted into full sonship. Because again, we're still here. We're still in this life. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us what we are really eagerly waiting for. 1 Corinthians 15 And verse 50 tells us this is what we're really eagerly waiting for. As good as Sunday gets sometimes, it's not really what we're anticipating the most. We're wanting full sonship, full rights to our heir. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption behold i show you a mystery okay in all times past this has been a mystery to the nation of israel but i'm going to show you today that mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound It's still going to sound. We still need to be waiting for it to sound. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51, just to give you a quick reprieve from the seriousness. This is a great verse for nurseries. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. If you've ever worked in a nursery, that makes sense. If not, I'll explain it to you later. But this corruptible, this body that gets upset, that gets angry, that gets frustrated, that is sinful, must put on incorruption. A body that doesn't have any of that, but it's perfect. This mortal... This body that can die will put on immortality that will never die. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That's the final blow of death. That's the final time where God just says, you are done. You have no more authority. You are finished. 
O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Paul's feeling a little saucy at this point. He's trash-talking a little bit. Where are you at? What you got? Where'd you go? Oh, you're nowhere. That's right. But thanks be, verse 56, rather, the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Hey, again, this isn't a half-hearted thing. This isn't like once a week or whenever you get around to it. But always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is our eternal hope that we are groaning for, that we were earnestly looking forward to. God, deliver us from this corruption. God, deliver us from this life. Verse 24, back in Romans chapter 8. 824 says, For we are saved in this hope. Or we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what? He sees. So the hope is eternal life. Ultimate salvation and deliverance from every effect of sin. And that is our hope that saves us. But hope that is seen is not hope. Because you don't need hope if you see it. You don't need hope if you're holding it. You don't need hope if you've already received it or experienced it because biblical hope is not just saying i hope i get a raise we use that phrase i hope i get a job i hope tomorrow is nice weather that's not biblical hope that's like a by chance maybe that's what i want to happen but biblical hope is being confident and patiently expecting cheerfully enduring Until the fulfillment of God's promise. Of God's promise. That's why Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And the Amplified Version says, Now faith is the assurance. The title deed. The confirmation of things hoped for. Those things that are divinely guaranteed. And the evidence of things not seen. The conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact. I'm going to repeat this in a moment because this is something to chew. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by our physical senses. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by our physical senses. Faith is being assured today or fully persuaded that the hope we have in the divine promises of God will be rewarded by those promises coming to pass. I may not see it, 
I may not sense it. I may not feel it. But it's going to happen. That's faith. That's hope. Verse 25 says, But if we hope for... Again, Romans 8, 25, If we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance or with patience. If we truly hope in it, and we don't allow our natural senses to deceive us. Because let's face it, our feelings are fickle. Our feelings betray us. Our feelings don't give us an accurate picture of reality sometimes. We feel this, but it's not true. Well, I just feel like I'm going to die. Then you pause. Heart's still ticking. The breath's still coming out of my mouth. I felt like I was going to die. Still alive. It's a miracle. You can't trust your feelings. Well, I just feel like it's never going to happen. I feel like God's never going to bless me. I feel like God's never going to forgive me. I feel like I'm never going to make it to heaven. Quit feeling. <laughs> Trust. Again, I'm, I'm teasing a little bit. I'm not trying to be rude today. But we've got to trust. I'm trying to hurry. But I really want us to grasp this today. We have to stop and meditate regularly on God's promises. We have to stop and take time to think about God's promises. If we're going to hope in it and we're going to believe in it, we're going to have to focus on it. We're going to have to think about it. We're going to have to believe it. So while waiting on God's promises, will we accept delay, suffering, or annoyance? without complaining or becoming angry. When we are truly hoping in Jesus, we will. And we'll have a cheerful endurance. Verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our our weaknesses in the New King James Version. I'm quoting King James while I'm reading New King James because it was stuck in my brain. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Lord is not sitting in heaven. Again, I've explained He's everywhere all at once, but for our sake of, of just metaphor, we think of God sometimes sitting in a far-off place, unconcerned, apathetic about what we're going through. God, don't you see what I'm going through? But this verse helps us to understand that when we will come and we will press into His Spirit and we will pray, He will groan with us. While we are groaning, He is groaning. God's not standing up 
off and not caring about your situation. He is suffering with you. Verse 27 says, Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. When we pray in the Spirit, when we intercede in the Spirit, we are praying the perfect will of God because the Spirit doesn't do anything but pray His own will. So when we let the Spirit pray through us, we are praying the will of God for ourselves and for others. We are helping mankind be redeemed. That's why intercessory prayer is so important. And we cannot lose it as a church because we are helping souls be saved by praying for them. Verse 28, And we know, here summarizes, again, the heartbeat of hope. We've got to have this mindset to hold on to hope because we're going to face things in life that just make absolutely zero sense. But as Paul, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for our good. Again, it's to those that love God. Those who are operating in the purpose of God. Those who are trusting and hoping and surrendering to God. All things that happen to them, whether good or bad, are working together for their good. No matter how much it hurts, no matter how confusing it is, no matter how much it seems like evil is winning in this process, why would the Lord let evil prevail? If I'm surrendered to Him, evil is not winning. God is working this for my good. Joseph had this perspective even without being filled with the Holy Spirit as we are. His brothers came to him and he said, I don't even want you to be sad about what you did to me because what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God used what you did for evil to prepare me so I would have the compassion and the character needed to be where I'm at today. God is working all things together for my good. Horatio Spofford was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago. A lovely family, a wife, Anna and five children. However, they were not stranger to tears and tragedy. Their young son died with pneumonia in 1871. And in that same year, much of their business was lost in the great Chicago fire. Yet God in His mercy and kindness allowed the business to flourish once more. Two years later, November 21st of 1873, on a French ocean liner, his family was crossing the Atlantic. He had planned to be on board, but he wasn't able to make it, so it was just 
His wife and four daughters, his remaining children, were all there with his wife. About four days into the crossing of the Atlantic, this French ocean liner collided with a powerful iron-hulled Scottish ship. And suddenly, all those on board were in grave danger. His wife, Anna, hurriedly brought her four children to the deck. She knelt there with Annie, Margaret, Bessie, and Tanetta. And she prayed that God would spare them if it be His will. Within approximately 12 minutes, the ship slipped all the way beneath the dark waters of the Atlantic, carrying with it 226 passengers, including these four precious children. A sailor rowing a small boat over the spot where the ship went down spotted a woman floating on a piece of the wreckage. It was Anna. Still alive. He pulled her into the boat and they picked up her on another larger vessel nine days later to where she was able to wire her husband a message which said, Saved alone. What shall I do? Mr. Spofford later framed the telegram and placed it in his office. And another of the ship's survivors recalled Anna saying, God gave me four daughters. Now they've been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. Because she had a hope. Mr. Spofford booked passage on the next available ship to join his grieving wife. He lost his son two years before, had his business burned and resurrected. Now his four daughters have perished at sea. Four days out on the journey, the captain called Mr. Spofford to the cabin and told him they were over the place where his children went down. At the very sight of his four daughters, where they were lost at sea. He was inspired to write a song that has blessed many to this day. How could anything good come out of such grief? How could anything good come out of a situation like this? Mr. Spofford could have been bitter. Mr. Spofford could have been upset. He could have cursed God, shook his fist in the air and said, God, Why me? But instead, Mr. Spofford somehow held fast to the hope of the promises of God that there's life beyond this life. And even though I don't understand what God is doing, no matter what's going on in my life, I can too say, it is well. It is well. I can say when peace... When peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul.
That song wasn't written by someone who was on a mountaintop. As Anna could come and play, we're going to pray here in just a moment. That song wasn't written from a mountaintop experience. That song was written by the story that I just shared. A man in unbelievable suffering. I can't imagine charity and hope perishing at sea. I can't imagine taking the boat, looking in the ocean, and imagining that's where my daughters had breathed their last breath in this life. And hugging Roxy as we cry and grieve the loss of our children. But this man had a hope in Jesus Christ. No matter what happens, I can say it is well. Maybe not with my body. Maybe my body's racked with pain. But my soul, it is well. Because my soul has a Savior. My soul will live forever. My soul will be with Him in eternity. I don't pretend to know your suffering today. I don't pretend to know what you've gone through today. But I encourage you, trust Him. Trust Him today. Say, God, I'm going to hold fast to hope in your promises. I'm not going to lean to my own understanding. But in all of my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you and allow you to direct my path. I'm going to trust you. And despite the tears, despite the pain, despite the confusion, I'm going to say, it is well. It's a statement of faith. It is well. I may not feel well, but I'm going to say it by faith. It is well. I don't see the streets of gold yet. I don't see the walls of jasper, the gates of pearl. I don't see my Savior sitting on the throne, beaming in all of His glory. But I say by faith today, it is well with my soul, because one day I will be with Him in glory. One day I will be with my Savior. One day I'll overcome all this, in, all this corruption, all this sin, all this trial, all this struggle of life. And I'll get to be with Him. I'll get to be with Him. I'll get to be with Him today. I encourage you to just cry out to God today. You can stay where you're seated or you can come forward in prayer. But I believe you feel what I'm feeling. This is a, a special moment in God's presence right now. Sometimes we're shouting and sometimes we're, we're getting excited. But right now is just a moment where God wants to do some healing in our hearts. Just like He did for Mr. Spofford that day. As he looked over the edge of that ocean liner. And said, Lord, I don't understand this, but it is well. I believe there was a supernatural touch from God. That filled his soul. As he began to sing by faith. It is well. It is well. It is well with my soul. Amen. Let's spend some time with Jesus today. Amen. Pray for someone if, if you feel led to today. Pray for God to bless them. Pray for God to bring peace and comfort them. It is well.
Still know his name. 
Sometimes we're really weak because we're not waiting in His presence. And I'm not trying to hold anybody back today. If you have somewhere you really have to be, don't feel bad about slipping out. And I'm not trying to hold anybody longer than you want to stay. I'm just saying, right now God is healing. Right now God is strengthening. And we don't enter into this presence all the time. We don't enter into this opportunity every single day to receive some healing and some strength. So I just encourage you, if you don't feel like you've received what you need today, just 
take a couple more moments and lift up your hands or just sit quietly with your hands folded however you feel comfortable and just receive God's strength in the next few moments we're not just wasting time right now this is a holy moment this is a moment where God told Moses take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground this sanctuary is a holy place right now it's a holy place because God's presence is here to strengthen and renew our hearts today not, it's not going to be perfect when we leave I'm not promising that but, but you can be more whole than when you came you can be suffering a little less than when you came you can have a little bit more peace than when you came God can heal you from that wound a little bit more than you were before you came today as we wait upon Him and we renew our strength. Amen. We'll mount up with wings as eagles. We'll run and not be weary. We'll walk and not faint if we just learn to wait. If we learn to wait in His presence and just trust in Him. We're so used to to doing everything ourselves and pushing everything ourselves. But sometimes we just need to be still and know that He is God. Be still and know that He is God. Just be calm and meditate and receive from God. Amen. It is well. It is well. healing you. He's touching you today. It is well. Don't disqualify yourself. Just receive it from Him today. Don't say, no, it's petty. It's not that big of a deal. I should just fight this myself. Just let God help you today. Let God strengthen you today. He cares. Cast all your care on Him. Because He cares for you. Cast all your care today. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The gentle shepherd is here today. feel okay today just if you have someone near you why don't you just pray for him for a moment let's just minister to each other for a moment today someone you know someone you love minister to them in prayer today encourage them today bless them today we're here for you we love you we're not just here for the good times we're here during the struggle we're here to help you through We're here to help you. 
You don't have to put on a fake smile. You don't have to act like everything's okay. We're here to walk through it with you. We're here to go through it with you. So 
So 
Do it.